Welcome to another episode of the I Am Podcast. I'm Johnny Wilkinson and I really appreciate you being here with me today. I've got a very special offer from our podcast partner that I don't think you're going to want to miss. As you know by now at I Am, we're passionate about exploring performance and potential. We often look at this through the body, how the food we consume affects us. And this is why we've partnered with Vivo Life, who have devoted themselves to understanding how our nutrition plays a significant role in our growth, both physically and mentally. Their products are formulated by nutritionists and are 100% natural, making them the perfect choice for anyone looking to take their well-being to the next level. A big favourite at the Iron Podcast is their Perform Plant Protein, especially in cacao flavour, and their plant-based Omega-3 made from high-potency algae oil. Whichever you choose, you'll quickly understand why Vivo Life products are award-winning when you try them out. Plus, their products are delivered straight to your doorstep via carbon-neutral delivery. Vivo Life really embodies the spirit of our podcast, and we're really keen for you guys to try the products yourselves. So they agreed to run their biggest ever discount exclusively for I Am listeners. The code is I Am Podcast, all in capital letters, which will give new customers 40% off their first order and a further 15% off when they subscribe. The offer ends soon, so don't miss out. Check out their full range of products at www.vivolife.co.uk to discover how they can help you unlock your full potential. Why I run. Why do you run? To enjoy myself, to celebrate myself. I run to clear my mind. Enjoy myself sounds really weird, doesn't it, to honest? <laughs> it's season two of the Why I Run podcast from Red Bull. With me, Ayo Akin Waleri. And me, Aaron Azar. In this series, we're chatting to all sorts of people, from celebrities to athletes alike. And finding out why they run. Search Why I Run and subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hi there, welcome back, and a massive thank you for tuning into this I Am podcast. What a pleasure it is to undertake this journey of discovery with you, and I so enormously enjoy the chance I get to converse with interesting people, hear their messages, share their messages too, and this includes yourself, your contributions and feedback is so so important it really really makes a difference so if you have anything for me anything that comes up for any reason please send it through it's is greatly uh, and hugely appreciated jason fox spent a large part of his life serving in the armed forces this has been an area that's always fascinated me from such a young age he spent a decade in the marines and then another further 10 years or so in the sas which placed him all over the world ensuring that he got to experience seriously extreme environments and also got to apply himself under some of what can only be the most challenging conditions I can imagine anyway. You might recognise him from the TV show SAS Who Dares Wins in which he puts others through their paces helping them to create new relationships with their limits and themselves so this was always going to be a fascinating and eye-opening conversation for me. Thank you so much to Jason Fox for sharing what he has shared, for his service, going through what he's been through and doing things I certainly (laughs) couldn't imagine facing. And before we start, I wanted to issue a trigger warning because this episode does contain retellings of Jason's time in the military and some of the realities of live combat, which some listeners may find distressing. My name's Johnny Wilkinson. This is the I Am Podcast with Jason Fox. Jason Fox, 
Awesome to have you. Uh, loads to to get into, I think, and I'm really going to pick your brains and and hopefully, uh, yeah, I'll I'll do you justice in this conversation. But how are you, mate? Great to have you here. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I don't think it would take too long to pick the brain that I've got between these ears, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, right. I'll, 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 I love I'll, a challenge. I love a there. challenge, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right, listen, let's um let's get into it. So yeah, we're all about human potential. So we'll see where this goes. Um, but one thing that's I'm going to straight off the bat, my whole life felt like a load of training and preparation. And I felt like for me, because of what I went through, it was so life and death. But one thing I always held in my mind was a reference to essentially the the atmosphere, I guess, not knowing much about it, what you have been involved in a lot of your life, where the stakes are higher. And it was the one thing that kept me a little bit more grounded. I've always wanted to know a little bit about what that's like for you. And, and maybe before you go into that, just just let people know just what I'm talking about in terms of your world, if you would, you know, where you've come from and, and how you're seeing this. But yeah, what's that What's that preparation world like when the stakes are high? So, yeah, my background was I, um, at a very early age, I joined the military for a few different reasons. So I, I went into the Marines at 16. Uh, I did 10 years in the Marines, just well, just short of 10 years, and then um, decided to up the ante a little bit and applied for Special Forces and ended up getting in and then did another 10 years in the Special Forces. When it comes to the preparation and getting ready for something where, quite frankly, you could die, I don't think it was much different to maybe yourself to a certain degree. Maybe, yeah, I think, and I'll tell you what I mean is, I joined the Marines at 16, took a little bit of time to get into that, as in like, five, I was 16 years old, I thought I knew what I wanted to do, and I was right, but it took a bit of, you know, I had to force the issue a little bit, because it's an uncomfortable environment to throw yourself into, and when it clicked, it clicked, and I loved it, I loved being a soldier, and I loved what it entailed, the purpose, everything. The one thing I'll say, though, is for the first, for that period of time in the Marines, so, so for a good nine years, I didn't see any proper action as, as, as people would envisage it as, you know, soldiers fighting in faraway lands. I, and it wasn't because I avoided it. I was looking for it as every other, you know, bootneck Royal Marine was, but it just, you know, the luck of the draw. And it's funny, the older guys would always be like, oh, you want to be careful what you wish for. And you're like, oh, shut up. Get me out somewhere, but oh, wow. but I didn't. I didn't. You know, I bounced from a different unit to another unit. I'd miss certain tours of duty. I, I suppose I was frustrated by that, and so all I was doing was honing my skills as a soldier and and reaffirming to myself that I did love it. You know, but it, I kept being like, "Well, what, I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it's like." And then obviously I put in for the special forces and all hell broke loose quite frankly because at the same time almost concurrently 9-11 happened wow yeah and so i joined the special forces having not seen that much action and then it was like yeah have some of that and then all of a sudden you realize the old guys that say be careful what you wish for weren't far off the mark oh wow i mean so you mentioned just at the beginning that you joined for a few reasons i'd be really interested in those because I, uh, I got into, when I was young, I had a real interest in the military. 
I, I used to, I mean, you see these kind of magazine sets at the time that came in a folder and you had episode one and, and it's the only thing I've, I had every one that was to do with the special forces. It was so intriguing to me. I don't know why. And because I had a sporting side and I guess my passion leaned further there and it was what I wanted to do, I never really thought about it again, but there was something in me that I found it intriguing. But for you to go in at 16 and, and commit, do you have any idea what it was that was the deeper calling, if you like, or was it just, yeah, what was it? It really surprises me. I think that, like I said, there's a few reasons and it's difficult to say, yeah, that was the main reason because, you know, you look back on it with slightly different views, but I think the main one was school. I just didn't embrace it. I found it difficult to pick things up at that stage of the game I lost interest quickly. I had a very short attention span and I was easily influenced. I grew up in not a great place. It wasn't the, the most affluent of towns and I flunked at school. However, that said, I did enjoy sport. I wasn't good at it, but I did, I did enjoy <laughs> it. And I enjoyed being outdoors. Now, you know, I can remember times in my childhood where I'd be like, oh, I want to be a graphic designer because I enjoyed drawing or things like that. And I think they were just like, things that I thought about because I thought I'd like them, but then realised that, you know, I didn't I didn't do well enough to, to pursue that. The one thing that was always in the back of my head was my dad had been in the Marines a long, long time. Like, he left as I was born. So it's not like I experienced a military lifestyle because I didn't, not by a long shot. But he did, you know, every now and again, he'd talk to us a little bit about it. And he loved, you know, what he'd done back in the day. So there was there was a pull towards that or a push but it wasn't it wasn't all of it it was a lot of being at the point where I was like well I can't do anything else at the moment like everyone else is expecting you to do well at school to go on to college go on a levels potentially university and I just didn't it didn't work out for me and so I I railroaded myself down that route but presumably that the intensity of those two forces that's going to weed out anyone where there isn't the deeper willing. So presumably you could have bailed at many points, but how come there was the the drive to go and to go again when you presumably been put through the ringer? As a sixteen year old, not that I knew it consciously, but subconsciously I knew that was well that was you're like, you gotta do something with this opportunity or you're running out of options. So I think that subconsciously was in the back of my mind and it did get tough and there was a couple of times where I properly stumbled and failed at things and I refused to quit. I was like, no, this, this is going to work. I'm going to force the issue. I do like it. I've just, you know, I've just made a mistake here and there and you need to keep going. The one thing I will say is the luxury of doing it at that age, 16, thinking that there wasn't another option and not really experiencing life outside of my own household or school was I didn't know what the other options were and I didn't I hadn't experienced that I hadn't been tempted by other things there were other people within my intake recruit troop who were I, I was one of two 16 year olds everyone else was about age 20 to 27 wow okay which is, a, which is that's a monster sound. gap that's a monster yeah. gap huge gap and all these blokes were like brilliant at looking after themselves you know washing kit time appreciation because they'd you know lived on their own gone to uni whatever and that was a bit that I was rubbish that's where I was failing 
But the one thing that went against him was they'd already experienced life. So there was there was always that knowledge that they can just, if they don't really like it, they can dip out and go go either go back to what they'd done before or explore something else, which they know is out there. Whereas I was like absolutely petrified of that that wow. thought or prospect. And so I just literally, it was literally like bashing my head against the wall, continuing like, right, I'll go again. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. See, see how it's going. I think the very concept of being 16, 16 is young. It's so young. I mean, what, what sort of relationship did you have with yourself at that age? Where did you stand in terms of confidence, in terms of, you know, like a, a willingness to put yourself out there? Was there any shyness or was it? Because, that, I mean, to be honest, that terrifies me, the idea about being amongst men in an arena where it sounds like there's a lot, there's a lot going on and you're at that age. I mean, I think I was probably a young 16-year-old, if you know what I mean. What were you like then, do you think? Way too young. I, really? Like I'm still, I'm still juvenile now. So <laughs> I'm not 16. I, I, as a, a, an actual fact, I probably pissed a lot of those guys off, especially the first 15 weeks. And I'm, I'm in touch with some of them now. Okay. We all, you finish training. So you finish the 30 week, 32 weeks of training, then you bomb burst. Sometimes you'll see them, sometimes you won't. Now I weirdly didn't really see many of them again. And no one really knew the the path I took. And then obviously you do bump into people and they're like, you know, you look different. And you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the balls dropped. That's what's happened. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then they're like, oh, what are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm down, you know, I'm in the, in the special forces. And they're like, eh? They're like, you didn't know your backside from your elbow. And I was like, I know, <laughs> I don't know. But, um, the relationship was odd. I had to grow up quickly. The one thing I was grateful for that experience was I learned how to be around people very, very quickly. I learned not to be annoying. I think in, okay. in a, in a, in a close knit group, I learned that very quickly because that was the only thing I could control at the time was like, well, if I'm pissing people off, how do I stop doing that? And I became very aware, but then going back to confidence. I didn't have any confidence. You wow. Know, I definitely felt at the bottom of the pecking order and I was just struggling to prove a point. And that went on until the halfway point and then something clicked and I started to really get a grip of things. And then all of a sudden I was 16 years old and like holding my own within that. I've never really thought about it before. It's, it's incredible. You're the first person that's asked me that question about what it was like to be around those blokes. And it was massively daunting, like hugely daunting, scary. But yeah, again, I just, I didn't, I, I genuinely, once I'd got into it, I knew that it was something that I wanted wholeheartedly. And so I had to just keep pushing through. But I think there's going to be a few things that, I mean, there's so much of this, which is intrigues me so much because I feel that, it was, I went to a level and I do feel that there's that, there's a big extra level where in that arena that you're talking about. And one of those is 16 years old. How much of this understanding in the, the forces that you're joined that with you, when you, when you kind of, when I'm a young guy playing rugby or whatever, you understand in very, from a very young age that there's win and lose. You're not going to win them all. The big win and lose in your world, I guess, involves the ultimate, you know, is, is death. And yet you're talking about being 16 years old. 
Was there a conscious, proactive okayness with death? Or was it still a bit of a distant kind of, maybe similar to what I would have been, which is like, it's one of those things I still rather immaturely felt I could stave off, you know, it wouldn't happen to me. Yeah. And, and was there a point when you went from realizing it was a very real thing or was that from early on? It was a distant reality and the military are very good at this. They're very good at subconsciously preparing you by throwing you into so many training exercises where you are looking to overcome the enemy. They then say, right, there's a casualty, right? That bloke's missing his leg, pick him up, do this, do that. And you're like, okay, okay, okay. And it's all make-believe or, or it's, it's yeah. realistic training, but it's not, you know? Yeah. And as a youngster or as any person, but especially as a youngster, because you're, you're still forming, you're, your brain's still learning to develop. And I think you subconsciously are preparing yourself. So I was, I don't know whether I was fortunate or not, but I did nine years of constant hardcore training in difficult environments that were still telling me, right, it, when this does happen, it's going to be hardcore, but you've done all this, so you should be prepared. Now, whether it was the right thing or not, or I was lucky or not lucky, but throughout my career, there was bits and, there was bits and pieces happening around the world. And then I was away. I was in a, in a good organization doing a properly respected soldiering type of job. When we were away, when it all sort of started to happen, you know, 9-11, then Iraq, it was all playing out and it looked like people were going to be starting to go away into real life theatres of operation that had substance. You know, there was going to be some serious war fighting. And I was lucky enough to be around an older guy and he was like, all right, lads, have you not thought about what what's about to happen? And because I was a little bit older, I was 24, 25 and I'd obviously got to grips of what we were doing or what we were being trained to do and it was like sat down and listened to this guy and you're like yeah and it had been about you know he's a lot older than I was and he wasn't saying it in a way to to freak us out he was almost saying it in a way to be like look I'm I'm here to motivate you if this talk doesn't motivate you, you should probably do one yeah. and find another job okay. because this this is this is now going to become a reality. And I think he needed to say that because there was a there was a generation of guys who joined up, spent a considerable amount, a decent amount of time in, in the military and not done anything. And then all of a sudden it was going to come wallop, come and slap you in the face. And I benefited from it because it, it made me, it's not like I went away and sat down on a sofa on my own and was like talking. I was like, over a period of time, I was like, right, yeah, actually he's right. I need to get, I actually now need to face the realistic, version of what I'm about to do and just be prepared for it and so that's what happened it was a gradual build up to what was going to happen some people don't get that you know you look at young guys that joined after that you know that main event of 9-11 say you'd have 17 year old kids doing training and getting getting catapulted out to to fight with grown men that they've never met before that 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 ah. you know i don't know how they do that and that's off to the in fact i've actually been with young lads who have done that and you know it's impressive to see poor poor chaps well i'm i'm fascinated by this absolutely fascinated by this and that large part of planning if you like the preparation that took place over those many years and i, I know you're saying gradual but at some point 
that first shot gets fired or the first confrontation contact happens. And I'm really interested in, in this because it was a massive part of my life. Again, on that, I feel like different scale, but all the planning versus at certain moments you go from planning and, and reassurance and guidance and control. And then you go into the space of it's all, it's all off. And in that place, it's more your capacity to respond to that unknown than it is about the planning. And I'm sure the planning is still, for me, you know, the planning is still there. There's still the game plan to work to the structure. But beforehand, you can't delve into that sort of like, what am I going to do when it goes off? You have your ideas about what you're going to do, but that's planning. But at some point you're faced with the start reality. Of, I'm now exploring something I haven't, where I haven't been. This is new to me and I'm really interested about what what all that training did to that moment when suddenly it's like, now this is real. How did that feel, that first contact? And what you know, and how much of that training helps and how much do you think of that there was a gift in you to be doing this that meant that you have been able to carry yourself through situations where maybe others might not have not been able to? It was exhilarating to say the least. So I was actually in charge of a load of guys and we'd gone into a built up area, got there very early in the morning, started to basically exploit the area as in clear through it to make sure that there was no baddies, whatever you want to call them. It was turning out to be a long, boring day and we were, get, we were getting towards midday. It was hot because we're in a place that's hot. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, this is boring as <laughs> let's just get off the ground because you know we've pretty much done what we need to do anyway as we were setting up so basically putting in a bit of a cordon and there was groups of us dotted around in different locations all of a sudden you just heard gunfire and it was it was a you know a few hundred meters away and a few streets away and i was like hello <laughs> this is in this is interesting so like we start sh i started along with another guy who's on the other side started shaking the guys that we were responsible for out just in case and um, waiting, listening to the radio and there's all sorts of stuff going on. There was a bit more gunfire. It was all sort of, you could hear people on the radio panicking. Yep. That's a man down, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, ah, what the hell is going on here? And then there was other parts of our group that were obviously in subunits talking about other stuff going on at another part. And you're like, this is starting to turn into a bit of a hairy situation because I don't know what's going on. I can't see what's going on. It's really difficult to understand because there's already troops in contact, which means I'm not allowed to ask questions on the radio because they're they're taking they're yeah. taking preference. So you've got to keep the airwaves clear. So you're like you're just waiting. Anyway, as I was doing that, I was on one side of a road, and then I looked across, and one of the guys I was responsible for, he's, he wasn't really paying attention on what he should have been looking at. So I'm trying to get his attention. He's not, he's not looking at me. So I, and the, the, these weren't British guys we were sort of like responsible for. So I basically started to leg it across. I pulled one of the other lads with me and let, started to move quickly across this road. And as I'm getting towards this bloke, I've looked up and this pickup truck's come around the corner full of, there's about three blokes in the back with AK 47s. Oh. And they just like, bruh, like fired a load, a burst at us, splashed down beside us. The guy that I pulled with me, he got hit in the guts. And when I remember it, I thought that I probably looked, waited too long. But then I 
I, I remember it really slowly, which means I'm thinking, oh, did I react? I must have reacted really mm. slowly. And then I ended up firing back at the vehicle, into the vehicle. The driver had obviously already started evasive manoeuvre. This stage, the other guy on the floor started firing back. The guy's down east shooting as well. So we've returned fire, a considerable weight of it. And then the vehicle's gone out of sight to us and I've had to pull this bloke to one side. And then we've started this whole sort of get him sorted. Then the guys that were making their way to us that had been in contact before. And it turned into a really long, drawn-out affair. There was a bit more. There was a lot more gun gunfire. But we were, like me, the guy down there, and the bloke next to me, we were the only ones that were actually in a proper contact where we engaged the enemy because the others had picked up pop shots like from sharpshooters. Not, I wouldn't call them snipers, but they were sharpshooters hidden in different areas. And it was weird and, you know, I was obviously throughout that whole time questioning, did I respond in the right way? Did I do the right thing? And then when I spoke to the guy that was on the other side watching, because he was, he basically couldn't see what I could see. He could hear, looked up and saw us respond, but didn't still because of the, the walls, the buildings and all that. And he was like, mate, you, you that was great. <laughs> as great as it can be when someone's lying there with blood pouring out of him. But he's like, that was, Hey, that was awesome. You you banged down a load of rounds and took the vehicle. I was like, really? I thought I was a bit slow. But I, I think when you look back on it, it's like all those things that you go through, training, 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 training. There's so many of them. Are t- they throw in curveballs all the time in training to show okay. you, right, that's gone wrong, that's gone wrong. And they all they're doing is encouraging you to think on your own. Because when you are in that moment, you're on your own. There's no point looking around for inspiration or, or a bit of advice or guidance, you're on your own. And, and I think the training does well at making young men, and young women, think for themselves when the obvious hits the fan. And I think I took that forward. Jeez. Yeah, I, I need to just relax my shoulders a bit after, after that story before I go on to the next one. That's uh, right. That's incredible because one of the things that is a definite performance blocker in in my world certainly is operating too much through survival and you mentioned there you said the word exhilarating that's really interesting because it's a word that i don't use very often but it really seems to fit that an interesting one but my mind thought that where that performance is enhanced i think is where there is the balance between excitement as well mm. it isn't survival survival urgency panic you know fear anger but there's actually this a really big space of excitement and passion about it and even hearing about, you know, having that mini mini debrief between you and the other guy about, did you did this, you did this. You, you know, if that was anyone else without the training, you'd be like, geez, hell's teeth. But you're actually sort of, you're debriefing. It's not, and it's, I wonder, where's the space for that? I'm immediately thinking the whole thing must take place through survival instincts. But actually, like you said, then that survival, that reactivity is very self-centered self yeah that survival is almost kind of right i need to get safe but actually what you're talking about this performance involves everyone else then there's a composure there and when you mentioned about throwing in curveballs it sounds as though it's really interesting i've never really thought about that in the military side that you've got all this planning and control but they're also giving up control constantly in training by the yeah. sounds of it there's massive control measures obviously but then the thing is 
the, the thing that tees you up for it is like you get taught all this stuff, you know, tactics, what to do when this happens, what do you do when your gun jams, what do you do when your left flanking unit of guys gets bogged down with fire, what do you need to look for? But then it's all, the whole thing's underpinned by what they call the orders process, which is basically, okay. it's the brief that you get, it's, it's more than a brief, it's a very, it's an unbrief brief. Yeah. But it's basically what you are going to do and how you're going to do it before you go and do it. It's broken down into phases. Different people deliver different bits. The third phase is called the mission. That's when you get told by your boss, your goal is this. And he says it twice because it has to sink in. He'll say it like it's a really short paragraph. It might, it might be something as simple as tonight's mission is to save the life of the hostage. And then he'll pause and then he'll say it again. And the reason he does that is because regardless of what happens next, you've got a default back to that. We don't care how you get it done. That's the default setting. Then you go into the phase, I think phase four is the execution, which is the nitty gritty detail, right? We're going to move from A to B. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Team one, you're going to go and do this there. You're going to have team two in support while team three are offering fire. All this mumbo jumbo. Then there's, Another few bits and pieces afterwards. Then they go through a thing called uh, courses of action and actions on. Now, this is where they start to plant the seed that they, I'll call it the seed of flexibility. It's like, ah, right. We know we've just given a plan outline, but we know when, when the bullets start flying, that's going to go to an absolute ball of chalk. <laughs> and so in that instance, you need to think of this actions on getting shot at. On the walk in, we will regroup, blah, 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 look into the middle, see if there's any what we call quick battle orders, which is basically a mini brief in reaction to something going wrong. And they'll do that through loads of different things. Now, the one thing you are taught as a young soldier, especially in the Marines and definitely in the Special Forces, is there's this sort of like weird saying where they're like, look, lads, don't rush into your own death. When everything goes mental, instead of just being driven or governed by emotion, just slow down, like get yourself into cover. Like you, I've been in situations where bullets are flying, you're tucked in behind a wall like, oh my God, this is not good. And someone will get a stove out and start putting on a hot tea, getting a, <laughs> getting a brew on, and you're all there like that, and you'll just be passing this around. You're like, right, what do you reckon we should do? Someone's like going, oh, I can see, okay, blah, blah, blah. You'll have a chat. Then he'll put his metal mug away in his cooker and you're like, right, we happy? You know what we're doing? Yeah, right, let's go. And then you swing into action because you've had time to slow it down. It has been a cup of tea. There's been times when lads just be rolling a cigarette, sparking up like that. Fucking hell, this is horrendous. What are we going to do here? But it, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's about slowing that situation down, taking stock of it, and then thinking about another way of skinning the cat. And you get taught that so, like, you literally get taught that so many times about getting into cover, get yourself into a position where the enemy's fire isn't effective, and then just looking at the situation and adapting to it. It is, you get given all these control measures in the set of orders, and then when it goes to a ball of chalk, they don't matter. As long as you've got control and communication of or understanding where people are, you, you, and you can remain effective. No one really cares how you get it done. That stress awareness is something, I mean, I didn't, this is all so brand new to me, but 
for example, so often in daily lives, you can have a tough day with in terms of like certain situations that really stress you or really whatever. And about an hour later, two hours later, maybe even at the end of the day, you get home, you look back over it and go, geez, I was stressed then. But in that hour when you're just reacting, you're still reacting. You don't have that time where you are. You don't have an hour to still be lost. So you're almost so aware of the stressful situation. And that sounds like it's almost, and I guess it has to be, it has to seem illogical to us because I think in our world or not in our world, but in this world, often people think that that's normal and it's, and it's just what you have to do is like you have a tough thing and you just react for ages. But it's possible in gunfire to be brewing tea and be talking in a voice that a voice that is calm and composed and 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 I guess it maybe aligns transparently with the internal environment, which is, yeah, yeah, we're good, we're good. And that level of trust, when that's going on outside, is mad for us to look inwards and say, how's that possible? But I guess it's inspiring to think, yeah, if it's possible for you in that environment, it's possible for us when, you know, things go a bit wrong over here, surely. Yeah, I think so. But then if you look back, I don't, I mean, I don't proclaim to know anything about this, but, and I think there's parallels with, you know, rugby, high level rugby. And, and this is, you're taught in war fighting to be like aggressive, like you are engaging in ultra violence, you know, extreme. And you need to be aggressive, but don't be angry because angry is just oh. like, it, yeah. it serves you no purpose whatsoever. So you speak, I speak to people that have never experienced it. And I'm like, yeah, I can remember that I was not angry once. Even if people had been killed, I was not angry. And they're like, why not? And I'm like, because it, it's an emotion. Yeah. It's an emotion that will completely cloud your judgment and make you do something stupid. And, same I'm sure the same can be said for on the rugby pitch you know you can you need to be aggressive but the minute you let one of the opposition roll you up to the point of you know the red mist coming down you normally do something that you'll regret massively yeah. and it's about it's it's that awareness it's like you can feel the fear seeping in and it's like I need to do something to control this or the anger and I need to and that it, like the cup of tea analogy is just a way of like right hang on I've had my combat indicators come in. The air's gone up on the back of my neck. I can feel myself getting tingly or, you know, anger or whatever it is. We need to do something here. And it's like, you, you pull on the rest of them. You're like, right, hang on. What's going on here? Let's get that. Let's get down here a minute and let's have a chat about things. And everyone's, everyone's grateful for it. Maybe once or, you know, once or twice I've been that person, but then other people have done it to me. You know, when someone's been like, all oh, right, lads, get in here, get in here. And you're like, oh, yeah, thanks. But what kind of leadership is that? It's, it's incredible. It's not a leadership with words. You, you can't say those words like you can't be giving it the old calm down. You know, <laughs> you, you have to you have to feel it. You have to be it. You And that's that's real. I mean, I can see the leadership in that. Definitely. But I think a lot of it as well, like you said there about the old um, talking or communicating that you used to line up, stack up, whatever, before you went through a potentially dangerous funnel point, like a doorway. And you stood there and then the person at the back gives everyone else a squeeze and then the next okay. person. So on the shoulder, and it's like it basically a silent way of telling everyone, right, we're good to go. So when the front man gets the squeeze, he's like, right, we're off. 
But I, but I think it's more than that. It's more than saying we're ready. It's also, a, I think it's a, a way of saying we're here. And like, no matter what you're feeling, we're here. I think you get more strength, not from knowing that you're ready to go, because you're like that, fucking hell, I wish we weren't ready to go. <laughs> but yeah. it's more about like, right, hang on, we're going into something here, but we got these lot with us. It's, it must be like that, you know, when you're in the changing rooms, you're about yeah. to. You've just, you've just, something's come up in me there, it's just to be like, yeah, yeah, you're like, you, you're walking round and round in the change room and, and you're going through all this rubbish in your mind. And the thing I remember is that you're constantly in that state. I mean, this is madness because I guess we don't train this so much. We're too busy really hammering the tactics and the game plan and this, but we're not training enough of the curveballs or this quality you're talking about now because I'm walking around the changing room I'm looking at every person looking to try and get some sort of guarantee so that they can make me feel better rather than me to bring myself down. I'm saying stuff like, you know, you'll definitely be there, won't you? If they do this, you remember that move we looked at on the screen, you'll definitely be there, won't you? You're like no trust at all. And then also you, you, I keep shaking hands with them and being like, yeah, yeah, good game. Good game. Yeah. Let's go, go well, go well. And then I do a circuit and I meet the same person and I shake the hand again. Yeah. Go well, go well. And I've got five times the same bloke. And he must be thinking like, I've seen you, mate. We're good. Now, but before we just go out, you do get in a huddle. Yeah. You touch. You get arms around each other. You're getting close. And it is the physical contact, which suddenly, instead of this reaching for someone by saying, you know, you're good, aren't you? You get the feel. You know they're there then. It makes, I get it. It makes a big, and you always do it just before you go out. You don't do it and then break out. You do it. And you go out from there. That's the last thing you remember. It's really, oh, wow. I've never thought about that at all. Really? <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Oh, that's good to that's, know. Yeah, that's it. really cool. So it's in that change room environment. Let's go there. My change room environment before kickoff. I don't know where you'd be. Maybe you're in in um, vehicles, air or ground. Maybe you're already just there. What are you doing as a leader? Like you said, you're with young kids. When you're looking for the best of your team, what, what what worked? I've been lucky. I led people when I was in the Special Forces. So I'd already gone through a shitload of soldiering. I'd done career courses, like really good in-depth leadership courses. And then been catapulted into the Special Forces and like being around good people. So when it comes to like motivating people, they don't need much motivation. Okay. If you, you, you're, you're lucky. But I mean, you do, you know, You'll be in a set of orders where you're going into what is essentially a pretty hairy night of whatever. And a lot of it is about, right, is everyone is everyone happy with what's going on? You just sort you, you become a little bit more robotic. It's like everyone happy with what's going on. Yeah, okay, good. You right, kit got yeah, frequencies, point man, have you got the, the um coordinates in your GPS or do you know them so we can and are you able to run off compass if a GPS goes down? And everyone's sort of like reaffirming to themselves, yeah, I know my job, I know my job. Then you'll have someone <laughs> not me, but you'll have someone start joking about injuries that people might incur. What? And, no. Oh mate, yeah. I I wasn't one for this. I'd be like, oh God, don't you know, someone would be like, ah, little did Foxy know this is the last time he'd be shitting into porcelain. You're like, ah, <laughs> what? You can't say that. <laughs> but, but the point being is people then go into their their coping characters. So some yeah, people okay. laugh okay. laugh and joke. So some people have dark humour. 
Other people will just have humour. I'd prefer to just be quiet and maybe listen to a bit of music. You know, I genuinely used to be sat on a helicopter with my ear things on like this, as in ear defenders with ear uh, headphones in, just listening to some music from my I had an old iPod, and um, then you just you'd clothe that away. But a lot of lads did. A lot, most lads would listen to music. But ultimately, the one thing that you do do is all the people that are there fucking love that job. They love being part of that squadron or whatever. They love being part of the team. And when you look at when you're looking around at the blokes, you feel so much energy from being with them. That you're like, ah, right, we're we're going into this. Sometimes that's all it takes. And it's weird because there'll be times when a job will get cancelled and someone will be like, I'm out. And it'll get cancelled for a multitude of reasons. Intelligence has changed. People have moved position. The weather's come in. The weather's too bad to do anything. And there'll be times when it won't happen and there'll be, some of us will be like, I had a bad feeling about that one. I'm, you know. I'm glad that we're here to fight, you know, go again on another day when we've got a bit more information. So it's not that you're always up for it, but sometimes, you know, you're in a different state of mind and things don't feel right. And, you know, the power, whoever is up there watching you is like, yeah, okay, you're not going and does something. <laughs> so, so that's, that's uh, really interesting because I've, I recognize from my career that there would have been so many instances when I was younger and when I was older, there was a lot of instances where being in that change room before the game, just as you said, you just recognize you love that job. You want to get out there and, and you want to, you want to go and feel it. And you're not any of this business around. It has to turn out this way. Part of you is excited about the bit that's not going to turn out, as you know, because yeah. you want that challenge because you're in it to grow. You're in it to, to explore what you're capable of and explore this kind of gift that seems to be calling out of you. But in the middle, there was part of me that was looking for the back door of the change room. <laughs> and it's crazy because you know you want to be there, but it, there's no doubt about it. When you're looking for that back door of the change room, when I was, it was because I was in a different frame of mind. And what it was was that for whatever reason, there was a clouding, you know, the trust went to distrust yeah. in myself and that doubt. And suddenly you're on that limit of thinking this is too much. Yeah, This is too much. And some of that for me... Well, when I was in that state, middle of my career, I'd lost that humility. I started to feel like it was all on me and that, you know, everything was all on me. I lost trust in other people. And I'd be fascinated to hear about how much you need to trust other people on your team, how you build that, because you're putting your life in someone else's hands. We're putting a result and a career in someone's hand. But, and also the part about, you know, do you have that part where people aren't trusting, where there's an openness to say, guys, I'm not here. You know, you're in the military and you've got people have got family issues. They've got other issues going on, whatever it might be. And suddenly you, you know, do you have a process where you're kind of like, look, you're just not right. You're not right. And that's okay. And is it viewed as a like, what has it been viewed as a cop out as in like, or is it, is it in that space of saying, no, this is ruthless stuff. Be honest if you're in that space. So I'd say most of the blokes are good at compartmentalizing, but I'll explain that in a minute. Um, the trust thing. I think in the like okay, so in the job that we did, you go through a selection process and then you come out the end of it, and you are you. That process is all about the trust thing. You are someone that can be trusted. You're safe pair of hands. You can pick up information quickly and deliver, and you 
you know, you've got an aptitude for extreme soldering. But to fit in with that, the culture within the military in general is to just throw trust out there. Because if you think about it, you can walk, you can be walking onto the back of a helicopter and you've never met the pilot before. You've never met the crewmen before. You've never met the, you've never met the engineer before. You serviced the aircraft and you're like, this thing's flying you into battle and you're like, I'll just trust them. <laughs> so there's a lot of, and, and all the people that have pulled together the intelligence and all you know the all the other different players that are involved you 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 trust them to do the job but on the ground you are around people you might not like them and you know you're in a group of about 30 guys 100% you ain't gonna like all of them you won't go on the you won't go for a drink with all of them there'll be some that you're best mates others that you don't really want to hang around but you do trust them and there is a, there is a love there what 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 happens if someone you know someone doesn't isn't feeling it? I've never really experienced the someone not feeling it to the point where they have to sort of say, "Look, I'm not feeling it." I mean, even that's an interesting but answer to. Yeah, I wow. have been in. So I've got a I've got a weird relationship with with outside noise, and when it, in the earlier part of my career, I remember doing a very long tour. It was nine months away. And it was when there was not, there was little infrastructure from where we were and the ability to, to call home or have any communication was almost non-existent. You'd like once every two weeks or once a month, jump on a satellite phone that cost a fortune, ring home and that was it. And I can remember getting, an, I'd be like that with some of the lads, I'd be like, we're in this day and age and I can't, we can't phone home, we can't blah, blah, blah. I've got a kid at home who's not very well. And I'm still, and and then, you know, you'd get around it and you'd be like, hang on a minute, I'm here to do a job, shut up, you know, just whatever. Anyway, fast forward, you know, a few years and that place has been going on for a while now. So it's, the area I'm talking about is Afghanistan. The infrastructure has improved. There is a lot more British presence. So they've input, in, they brought out like internet cabins and, and, and phone booths and all this sort of thing. So you can literally... With an AT and T card, courtesy of the Americans, cool home, easy. Right. And I just I can remember having doing that, having an argument, and then going out on the ground literally forty five <laughs> minutes later. And the whole experience was like I learned a very valuable lesson. You know, I'd been moaning year, you know years before about the connectivity and the lack of it. And the next thing you know, I'm like, ah, I wish the fucking connectivity went there. <laughs> You know, although I was all right, I was, I was, I'd say I was borderline able to compartmentalize it. It, it was unhelpful, and it was a valuable lesson. And thankfully, nothing happened of any significance that evening because I came away and I was like, "That ain't happening again." Wow. Yeah, I guess as well. Yeah, this maybe points at the power, and 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 you don't ever think about the family you know like you said that you that support that's required i mean i had a such an amazing support that was selflessly kind of put themselves around me to say we want you to go and feel free to go and just hit, hit the field and be you mm. and of course you kind of you take you know i took it for granted anyway to a point where you sort of just be like yeah this is how it is people do stuff for me and i get out there because i'm important mm. but actually you know that that's a that's an interesting dynamic to be working with was there other people that had, had issues from outside noise, do you think? 
there's no doubt i think i think almost kind of the reason i was asking about the kind of 16 year old side is because so much of me had that passion for that rugby and that sport but there was also part of me that felt no doubt about it through an interesting dynamic with fear when i was younger there was a distrust a dislocation with me and my true confidence and self and what have you and that whole represented itself in a need to achieve and basically feeling like i wasn't worthy and that's what drove so much of my rugby was a sense as i've got to prove this and i don't have a choice because if i don't i'm done for you know this is my lifeline so i had a life and death view of it which made people look at me and and feel i guess awkward by how intense i was yeah and i i didn't know this at the time i just figured i was hard working but you know i, I used to train two or three hours extra a day probably 70 percent of that was just pure insecurity there was no real yeah, and that's hence why my body broke down and everything. But I've always been interested to sort of see that because, yeah, I was dealing with not even my issues from outside. Outside triggered them, but I had them already. Mm. You know, I was working on the, but I, I, I struggled with getting up in the morning before going to a game. You know, I, I got picked for the England squad and when I was 18 and I pretty much just cried my way there in the car. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's what I did. And when I got there, I had the kind of like, wow, this is awesome. But I'd still go through the same thing the next morning. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't do that responsibility thing of looking and being like, "Hold on, yes, it's all unknown." And in that unknown, I had it. Why don't I think I'll have it tomorrow? But I, yeah, you know, I grew up with this fear, this ominous presence of fear. And as much as I thought rugby was all about my gift, there was also within that was this channeling of this kind of I have no other choice. And I, you know, like I said, I've always been interested about why that was and and why that was something to do with the military. I felt like I, it was all on me. I had to save my team. Mm. And of course that just, it was too much, way yeah. too much. But I, this is why I love the idea about being able to, you to hand over your orders and go, you do that. And you don't second guess it. So when I would speak to people in my environment, I would talk to people and underneath my language and my energy was a doubt that they'd even understand it or they'd do it. There wasn't a trust. So I'd be saying, yeah, so you're going to do this, but it'd be said in a way of like, you're not really going to do it, are you? You're probably going to cock it up <laughs> and I'll have to do it. And I'll have to tell you again and I'll do it and then I'll get hurt and it, yeah, and you'll have an easy life and I'll be doing it. But it was just pure me. It was my issues, whatever. And it would have been so much easier to delegate, which is what I did, like I said, when I was older. When I was younger, I didn't, I was too humble. When I was older, I got the realization that everyone was way better than me. <laughs> They were younger guys, stronger, taller. And I was like, shit, what am I doing trying to run through defences? I'm like, you, you have it, go on. And then people started to say, geez, you're playing so well. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. These guys are doing it for me. And that was the secret. Yeah. I suddenly was like, shit, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm working with others for once. Offloading the burden a little bit. A hundred percent. But this was me, like I said, that's why I've been fascinated because I made it life and death. But I couldn't stop watching everything to do with military war films i had hundreds of them <laughs> same because, yeah <laughs> well, that's so interesting so listen going in with that kind of basically the concept of me having this humble open loving expression at 18 and this kind of geez you know what am i doing just chill out and just trust yourself at 35 whatever it was in between i had a massive period of talking about nothing but pressure expectation that's all i could see 
Whereas it wasn't there at 18 and 35. And yet I had the same pitch, same players type, you know, same rules. Mm -hmm. And I'd be really interested to see when you were speaking about this kind of like clarity and this, this bringing yourself into a space of, you know, aggressive, but not angry. Where does pressure fit into that? There's pressure there. The pressure's always before. We sat on a helicopter, like, 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 well, well, you're just going over things in the head, right? We need to be traveling. When we get off, we're heading in a northerly direction. There's going to be, and you're going over all this stuff, and you're like, when we get in, okay. Then you, then you land and you get out. And if you've got to move a protracted distance, you're busy now thinking about the route and the, the waypoints, the markers on the way, uh, what they look like. There should be a village on our left and, you know, it's going to be dark, mountains on the right, whatever. Then you get into it and because you're all, you're, you're already in it, you're too busy to worry about the pressure. The pressure was before. Then what happens is it goes absolutely noisy and you're just in the moment. You don't, ah, the, the, the noise just takes over and you, it's funny because, um, when we did one of the, the tours, it was super intense. We were like going out very, very regularly, you know, every other night, every two nights and getting into situations that were manic, you know, people getting shot and all sorts and got to the end of that. And a few years later, I met, met up with, um, guy who was who was my he was the sergeant major so he is responsible for the blokes on the ground he sits a, a bit of a distance back from the mayhem and he sort of controls it or st or makes sure people are abiding by timings and all that you know right we've got five minutes on target blah blah, blah. and i remember saying to him i was like mate what was it like trying to keep track and corral us as a just when it was all going off when it was just chaos and he said, I can't actually claim to have done anything. He says, because ultimately you lot were all, it was just like the squadron in its separate teams. It was like a beast that did its own thing and did the right thing and just responded and reacted to whatever it was coming up against. It was like it's an organism that just moved. And, <laughs> wow. and he'd be stood there like that going, oh, I don't really have to do anything <laughs> It just every now and again remind us to stay on track, or and then obviously every now and again, he, you know, there would be an executive decision because everything had gone to an absolute ball of chalk, and he's like, right, Bosch, we're doing this, and that's where he obviously would, you know, make his money. But yeah, it was interesting to hear because obviously you're in when you're in it, you're like, this must be absolutely mental for someone else back there trying to control us, lot, running yeah, around like yeah. headless chickens, but. But you, you're not. You're doing stuff as you see fit, and it, I don't know. It all becomes. I, I always imagine that that's pretty much what it's like when you're England, to a certain degree. You you're just out there now in the in the absolute mixer, just dealing with the now. So there's absolutely, and the thing is, is that the pressure for me, the way that I was seeing it, was it it was circumstantial. It wasn't a truth because it wasn't consistent and yet when the conditions remained consistent the pressure didn't it was almost like in the changing room when you're feeding back with your own mind versus when you like you said you get boots on the ground and you're feeding back in the now with the real thing there's pressure in the change room but there's not on the field and yet you'd say well hold on surely there should be more pressure on the field 
But because you, there's this absolute surrender to your training and to your gift and this trust that you know, seem to know the answer is that the deeper I dive in, the more okay it's going to be. Yeah. Whereas in the changing room, you can't dive in because it's not there. And so you're trying to dive in and it's not, it's out of your lane. It's not your responsibility to a degree. I know you're not talking about the military, but yeah, the idea about saying, yeah, well, I'm going to do that today. Well, if that feels good, do it. If it doesn't, if it doesn't, don't do it. Because when you do something that doesn't feel good, you then go, oh, the pressure is terrible. It's like, well, what you're doing is pressure. Because actually I started to look at it. I looked at people in the change room. It was kind of like their truth was different. They kind of sat there and like, you know, you said like that cup of tea in the in the field. You'd have some people being like, oh my God. But you'd have people being like, do you want a cup of tea? But well, hold on. You know, there is an opportunity to enjoy the changing room mm. and to engage in the changing room. But of course, this is what I'm going to bring on to now that through my all my bits of me that were clinging on to this sense of, I need something against this fear. I need something to fill this hole of worth. And what I did was built this identity as a rugby player, that that was my secret. And as a rugby player, I kind of felt a bit worthy because I felt there was respect and recognition and the stuff that, yeah, like did something for that. I'm not worthy enough and whatever. But that identity, if you like, started to pay its own problems because then I'd leave the rugby field and I'd find everything else so difficult to get stuck into. And I'd be having dinner with the f- with the family or whatever. And my mind would be on the last game or the next game mm. or situations became really boring or painful or other people became boring and painful because to me, a rugby player, what is there for me here? I'm a rugby player. Mm. Instead of yeah, being able to put that shirt on and you mentioned about being angry, but uh, aggressive, but not angry. I love it because it sounds like it's a role you get into, but you can't lose yourself in that role. Otherwise you move to anger, but you kind of play it fully, but you're able to take that role off in order to do, you know, when the, you take the shirt off, the angry shirt off or the, the aggressive shirt off and you sit there and go, okay, right, hold on, let's have a chat. Everyone know what they're doing, right? Put your shirts on then the right shirts for this next moment. Yeah, and yeah. we're going to be what we need to be. Whereas I was stuck as who I was. And I'm wondering about identity in the military. What happens there? You know, when you're walking around, you're an SAS guy. Is there any part of you that's thinking, I'm an SAS guy? I'm this. I've achieved this. I've become this. I'm this kind of thing. When you're outside of that environment, what happens there? I don't think you get outside that environment. I think it's the same. I think a lot of the guys, you, you become absorbed in it. You become this. You are the squadron. It, it, each group of people within the in the in the special forces. The squadron, you are all part of a squadron, has its own identity. You have nicknames for the group, you know, you bond around that. You you live in the same, you, you're not living it, but you go to work in the same building. You've got all your kit in there, all your weapons on the top floor of all the offices. And there's loads of memorabilia to tell you that you're brilliant and you love it. You love it. You go out on the piss and the community knows who you are, you know, People know you are. There's a bit of um, notoriety and all this sort of stuff, and you thrive off it. And you go home to whoever, and you're a knob because of that. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Some friends. I've got a couple of friends who who were able to balance it and were brilliant, and they're they're extremely impressive people. 
I was one of the ones that couldn't and I struggled with it. And I thought, well, I can't turn this off because it's my identity. And if you don't like it, then piss off, which is wrong. And also it came to bite me well and truly in my backside when that identity tap got turned off completely when I left. And I'm like, now I look back on it, I'm like, I wish I'd just dabbled in turning it on and off because then this off-off would not have been as impactful in a negative way as it had been because I was like, oh, this is... When actually, it's just a job. Do you know what I mean? Wow, that's uh, that's huge. What a what a what a huge, you know, in your own beautiful way. What a huge point to make. <laughs> I, I got I got I got, and I say lucky that in the middle of my career, for four years, I was injured. I couldn't do what I wanted to do, and I got a mini break, a mini version of what was coming. And within that mini version, people, surgeons or whatever, were saying you may not play again. So I had to come to terms with this may be it. And I got many many offs that you're talking about, many switch offs where I had to kind of realize it, but then the hope would come back and say, no, I'm playing. Don't worry, I'll make it back. But then there'd be the doubt and it drip fed and then it wasn't so bad at the end, but you see it in the sport for sure that that identity, it feels so empowering, but it's almost self-harming in a way because at some point we all get undressed. We all have to take off what we're wearing, all this stuff that makes us look shiny and you know and, and stand out and you know have our place but it, but underneath it you know it can't last forever and i think oh, geez yeah, that's 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 so cool and what, what's happening there what, what are people doing about it? like i said is is that also part of the understanding now that that's something that needs to be addressed as well i think it's something that is addressed in some people i think it's people are more aware of it so you know people now are aware that they could and need to think about that identity doesn't define them. It isn't, you know, you, that sense of identity or that identity and sense of belonging, it isn't infinite. And you should remember that if that is your identity, it's going to be lost. And then you're going to look like a right or to yourself, you're going to look. Yeah. And that sense of belonging isn't going to be there. So who, who and what are you? <clears throat> and ultimately you just got to remember you're just you. Yeah. Just so happens that you did a job that was quite, you know, it is, you're not taking, not taking anything away from it. It's not, it is immersive. You know, you got to throw yourself into it, but don't let it define you because that def, it's not going to last. It's not going to be there all the time. And that, that's going to trip you up. And that was, yeah, it was one thing that definitely tripped me up. For me, it's, it's, it's also because it's part of a younger life. And I guess maybe because what you did and, and what you do and, and what, what I kind of did is, is so physical in nature. It is a young man's game to a degree. Mm. And and as a result, as you lose that physicality, even before the end of my career, you're starting to feel like I'm, I'm less of a someone because look at these young pups, you know, running around me and, and, and lifting more weights than me. And yeah, that didn't take long. But, you know, like that kind of stuff you're looking thinking, I'm losing my, all my identity is in how I look, what I, like you said, what I do. And now I can't really do what I did the way I did. I'm already falling down. But then I think at some point comes the understanding. Yeah. But as I let go of that physical side of me and start to investigate me beyond it, I'm finding out more of me. And, and that's not a young man's game. Yeah. Yeah. The young, the, the young game is, I think you have to kind of really go through that path, but there's power in that. And I, I don't know whether that's a, a really big opportunity to see, you know, no, this is not me, hopefully not jumping the gun, but, you know, I speak to you now and 
as a rugby player, I wouldn't be doing this because I'd be like, oh, I've got a game to play and oh, why do I need to talk to him? But now as like someone that's just curious, mm. interested, I'm getting a buzz out of this. Yeah, it's game I, day. It's, it's game day for me. It's game day for me. I'm, I'm right there, and I'm like, well, I'm still a rugby player. I'm just not playing rugby. <laughs> I'm the same. Part of me wishes I was as inquisitive as I am now. Then, because I'd have, I'd have, I'd have been a bit more rounded with the body that I had. I could do stuff. Whereas, like recently, I've, I've become very aware of getting older. Recently, <laughs> I'm like, I bust my leg, didn't I? A couple of months, a few months ago. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was just like, oh, fuck. Just, I was like, why didn't I do this like 10, 20 years ago? Because it, it wouldn't really be an issue. Whereas now it's like, I get up out of bed, I'm like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My ankle's killing me. <laughs> but that's, do you know, it's really interesting in that, in that the, the functional fitness, you said, like, you know, it's just a job. It's just what you do. But when you throw everything into it and your whole life becomes, and it has to for you, no doubt, for sure, and for rugby as well, but you lose yourself in that functional fitness because I can run long and I can run fast and because I can take hits and because I can do this and because I'm shaped like this. But when you become attached to it, you finish and you start training to be the same way. And yet now I spend most of my time bending down to play with my daughter and I'm rubbish at it because I still think I'm playing rugby. <laughs> Whereas if I said I'm going to be fit functionally for my life now, I think I'd find health and well-being to be like, well, hold on, I need to be loose. I do, yeah. So, you know, is it worth me trying to be solid all the way through? Well, no, to be fair, it's just making my life pretty hell. <laughs> I'm spending way too much money on having the food to eat because my appetite's so ridiculous because, and what have you, it's like it's, it's powerful to have that humility almost. Like you said, I'm just me. I never was that. I'm doing the same though. I'm still, I'm still training like I was 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like my bone, yeah. my, my back's killing me, my ankle's killing me. It's like, but then, <laughs> what am I doing? It's vanity. Doing? It's vanity. Exactly. Of course it is. You know what? What a beautiful thing. If I look like this, I still feel like I belong. I still yeah. People, do you know what? I'm obsessed by this idea that people might look at me and be like, he could still do it. That's what I want people to say. Same, I think, you know, same. Yeah, yeah, he could still do it if needs be. And when they say, will you come and do it? I'm like, I don't need to do it because I know if I try, <laughs> no, I could. <laughs> ah, exactly. So listen, you, you, you have, a, I think, a kind of interesting opportunity or at least a relationship with the fact that you also have people that aren't from a military background doing some military stuff with you, you yeah. know, whether it be whatever it is. And I'm really interested because that sounds to me like people in a life, they're after something. Because, you know, that's a big thing to go through. You know, the, 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 what is it you think it reveals in them, this amazing thing that you're able to offer to push or whatever it is? I'm not even going to put words in your mouth about what you do. But for some reason, there seems to be this sense of enormous a self-discovery at some point during that journey. Some people come on that and they don't know why. And I think they're the people that actually, there's people that come on it and go, I'm on this for X, Y, and Z. And they don't necessarily do that well. The people that come on it and are like, you can tell as well, because they all think they've got to have a party line. You're like, why, why are you here? And they're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. But there'll be people that their why is a little bit loose and it's they're not really too sure, but they're just willing to explore. They're the ones that do that normally do well because 
they've they just succumb to the whole thing whereas other people are trying to force an issue we put people under pressure that i don't think you can find anywhere else and that is the revealing thing and i think that's what people are addicted to and why they love it or why they love the experience after but, but do you think people have are almost regaining that sense of youth and possibility because they go into a space that they just didn't know was there they're out of control yeah probably oh wow okay yeah interesting well they like they literally don't know what they're doing from one second to the next they lay in bed they none of them sleep because they think that we're going to come and <laughs> even though you don't necessarily we, no you don't have to it's easy it's easy for us you're like ah, we, you plant the seed and then you're like ah. and they're like that <laughs> Like, you don't have to get up either. No, but, no, but the funny thing is, we're there saying, look, we, you can, and we're telling you to go and rest because we know that you need rest. And it's weird. They just don't believe us. <laughs> oh, wow. But presumably also, these guys as well, and I'm, I'm going to throw something at you. I had a chat with someone recently. It was really interesting, a scientist talking about this capacity with individuals within the planet, everything, every species, to come together and create something between the two of them or between a group of them that is so much, not just bigger than the sum of the parts, but it doesn't even belong to the sum to the parts. It's, it's bizarre. And I think that's massive behind this idea, what you're speaking about, about a bond within it or, or that team spirit or that kind of whatever. It's almost like, yeah, but when you sort of think, well, it's happened because I did this and you did that, you say, well, do it again then. And you're like, oh, it hasn't happened. It's like, no, it's, it's something to do with opening up and I think at some point with what maybe I don't know if this is true for you, but for me within that experience of the sport and everything is you get left vulnerable where you do surrender. And when you surrender you, all that stuff between you, something comes up between you that you just can't put your finger on. And I think I see a lot of people from lifestyles where, like you said, it's very controlled and there isn't that surrender ever because it's so guarded it's so kind of self but when you're in that space where well, they're stripped bare, I mean, literally and sort of metaphorically, and then you find this, they do actually start to really care for each other and they find acceptance in who they are beyond what I do and, and where I've come from and what you know me for. But I think that's, that's absolutely fascinating. And you also mentioned that the ones that don't know, do you find there's more excitement and passion about the actual opportunity yeah, they love they love being there. I mean, it's horrible, but they they embrace. They're like that. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning about oh, whatever. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and then and it's weird because like we keep saying to whoever it is, we're like, oh, look, if you think you're going to give up, just stop yourself and give yourself ten seconds and just really think about whether that's the right move. And then we're like, because the minute you go, you will miss it. You'll miss it forever and you'll regret. You will regret ever because you've always got a little bit more in the tank. And literally you'll speak to people that have gone and they're like, oh, I missed it so much. Oh, I wish I'd... Really? Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, well, we told you. <laughs> you were warned. <laughs> we warned you. But this this is I mean, it's so key because at every point, surely along any journey, there is a part where, you, can you say, take one more step, just one more and then see. Stay with it. You know, and I guess that takes so much trust. Your mind says, well, this is how it is now. This is how it's always going to be. But like you said, that control, even when you said people coming on, say, for example, a show to say, well, this is 
why I'm going on and what I want to get out of it. But when you're like that, that learning and you want to come away with the feeling of being more, and then you get faced with that situation that says you're on the brink of experiencing being more. And of course, if challenge was easy or, or the way you want it, it wouldn't be challenge. I'm fascinated by that. I mean, I've, I've had, yeah, my life has been littered with kind of mental, emotional kind of crises. And each time I come out of it with a short-term memory, I look back at it and go, oh yeah, I mean, it wasn't that bad. But then it hits again. And you're like, I now I know why I struggle. But that capacity to take one more step for the sake of one more step in that space, I think has been the secret to everything I would not swap out of my life has been that that one more step, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It, it just feels like whether it's the one more step towards someone to say, I know you've got your opinion of them, but just take one more step to trying to understand a bit more about them before you give up on them. Yeah, yeah. 100%. It's no matter, you can apply that to anything, can't you? It isn't necessarily, or it is, but it isn't the physical side of things about how much, but it's about everything, isn't it? Before you... Before you commit to anything, is there a bit more that you can give to be more rounded in whatever it is, whether it's an opinion, a decision, whatever? Yeah. And it'd be it'd be a very interesting decision to say, no, there's no more I can give. Because someone could call you on that immediately to be like, well, you could give one more step. Yeah, <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I could have, couldn't I? But yeah. that, that's fascinating. So, mate, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by all of this. Uh, and it's been ridiculous talking to you. I feel like I'm kind of just, yeah, I'm, I'm like a kid in a sweet shop here with, with this kind of stuff. And it's amazing. I'm really, really fascinated. I'm interested in, in, with all you've been through and what you've seen, what's this done for your understanding of what maybe started when you were younger of, if it was ever a thing that you were into, is like, well, how do, what's, what's a good life? What's a great life? What would, be a, what would make a great life? Has anything changed? And how do you see it now? in terms of are you still after stuff from life or is it you know what is what's your view now of what would be a life well lived if you look back and sort of went yeah okay well i'm not ready to give up yet so <laughs> so I've we're talking a few more. years i've got i've got i've got one more i've got one more step at least but um <laughs> just one a really big one as well i don't I, yeah i didn't when i was younger i didn't have a like a, a goal i don't really know what i had i just had Right, I'm going to do this, and did it, did that, and then it's, it's. I've gone on and got older, and I definitely wouldn't change anything, and I'm glad I've done everything that I've done, and I'm glad I've gone through the the issues I've experienced with regard to mental health. But what's next? I my goal is to just lead a happy life, and hopefully, you know, that will continue on. And I'll always find things within that life that will be my mini goals to make it happy. Do you know what I mean? So it'll be like, right, friend of my, a friend will come to me and be like, right, you fancy doing this expedition, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to be great. Let's get amongst it. And then it will be hard, but I know that being it, doing it, sorry, and being in it and it being hard is going to make me happy. And I, li- I like the challenge. So I think it's always going to be, there's always going to be challenges there. That's, that's the point. I, I'm happiest when I'm challenging myself. I'm outside my comfort zone and I'm going that extra step to see if I can do something or if I can like someone or if I, do you know what I mean? I was so built up on this idea of what I've done 
is what makes me who I am. What I've been through is what makes me who I am. But then I was kind of realizing that actually I can have a terrible day, but then really engage in this moment and take that next step the way I want to be. And someone in the middle of that next step could say, how's your day been? And because of how I'm feeling at that point, I believe it's been awesome. And I suddenly realized that I've, I've, I've been so thinking, as you said, hugely in the middle of this, that it ain't going to define you. You can't let it define you. And actually, maybe that next step is what defines everything. What's a good next step? And when you pull hard on that next step, it's almost like that rope behind you of your life just lines up. But when you're, when you're looking back at it, it always looks like it's, you know, it's out of place. But when you're, when you're not looking back at it, you're just striding forward. If you could look back at the same time, you'd be like, yeah, it's perfect. It's how it's meant to be. But it depends on how you hit that next step. And I'm, I'm fascinated, you know, with all you've been through and all you've seen that you say about, you know, looking, feeling older, but the energy in that, you know, taking on expeditions and seeing what you can do is a young man's game. So there must be some youth in you. Well, I think that's the, yeah, there's a few people in my life who'd be like, oh, yeah, he's fucking childish. But, um, <laughs> that might be the youth, yeah. Maybe, wow. maybe, maybe that's it. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know I talk about oh my back hurts and stuff like that, but I don't believe it does in my head. I'm like, ah, I'm still, I'll be all right. I'm, I'm still young. I still feel young. It's just uh, some of the joints don't. I don't know. Do you, do you still feel young? Do you know what? I think it's that. I think, I think the feeling is different to a physical feeling. Mm. Yeah. The feeling of feeling young is that sense of possibility. Yeah. When I see possibility, it equates to youth. And when I look at it, I think where I've lost my possibility is where I've made my mind up. And when we were talking about this is who I am, it feels powerful at the time, but you're pretty much covering everything when you make your mind up on that. Mm. Because your possibility, when you become a fixed object, then your possibility depends on the, the shape of your environment. Do you fit in? And I think that's what that's the thing is that it feels like it leads to possibility. But then you realise, like we said, as a rugby player, no longer playing rugby, you don't fit anywhere really. And if you if you do, you think, well, it, it might be in coaching or punditry. But even when you get there, you're like, it's not quite the same. It's a close fit, but it's not. And I think that's the thing is, is I'm trying to sort of gently dissolve all these things I thought were true. And I guess in a way, I'm if I don't do it, life's doing it for me. You know, <laughs> yeah, like I get, I get reminded often, whether it be mental health, the crises, or anything that, that, you know, understand your place, not in a derogatory way, but when you let go of all this important stuff, you join forces with the universe. Yeah, yeah, and and then you're part of its possibility. But when you take it on as a kind of, I'll show you, you're like, okay, yeah, but that's not about anyone's one, by the way. No, exactly. <laughs> And I think, yeah, that's that's kind of how it feels. And I'm I'm wondering, like you said, the the humility of that retirement thing. It's huge. I thought I had everything, and I was the man. And I walked out and went, "Oh my god, this couldn't be more opposite." Yeah, you think it's still going to be there, and there there is elements of a legacy in that. But then, you as a person, you know, spiritually and physically, are still moving forward away from it so what's next what are you going to do next exactly just like that point of you know when, when you have your big moment and you think this is great but with each step you take you distance yourself from your moment 
Yeah, and, it, and apparently that doesn't work. It's not a it's not a good look. It's been sat on that sat on that pitch, <laughs> just in the same old kit that's no longer fitting. <laughs> exactly, mate. Listen, it's been so cool having a chat. Mate, it's been brilliant. Hey, listen, mate, brilliant. Couldn't yeah. couldn't have enjoyed it more. Thank Cheers, you so Johnny. much for your time. Thanks, mate. Nice one. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. And until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Max Creative, The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. That's all for this week's episode of I Am. Before you go, a big thank you to Vivo Life, our podcast partner, who deliver affordable, natural and UK-made supplements straight to your door. Vivo Life perfectly embodies the principles we're discussing here at I Am, and we're excited for you to experience their products firsthand. As a special offer for our listeners, they're currently offering their biggest sale ever. Use the code IAMPODCAST, all in capital letters, to receive 40% off your initial purchase and an additional 15% discount on subsequent orders with a subscription. Visit www.vivolife.co.uk to explore their complete range of products and discover how they can help you unleash your full potential.